and welcome aboard the battleship pretension still not tyler smith but almost as good uh i am david Bax. uh tyler smith as you heard uh listeners was on the show last week uh helping me put together my sundance schedule by the time you're hearing this i probably either still at sundance or have already come back depending on when i actually get around to posting this episode uh we are recording this one quite early so i haven't listened to last week's episode um did he sway you on any major scheduling decisions um i'm trying to remember he had some interesting points he was like down on some movies that i thought sounded good and then he was up on like he i don't know i put together a tentative schedule today oh here's what i'm gonna say about this is what wasn't what i was gonna kick off the show with at all because i don't want to sound like i'm complaining like looking a gift horse in the mouth um and i can't remember if i brought this up in the show before but i like my level of press they changed the levels of press passes and the access yeah. they get so mine has by some measure been downgraded i think because of the online thing and i have like access to all of their sure all the movies that are online i no longer have any public tickets i have to either buy them or wait till like to like uh uh what's it called like rush line or 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 look for or ask yeah. the publicist for tickets i have no normally you would get like 10 yeah. public tickets and so i i'm not getting any so i'm just right now i'm i haven't started reaching out to publicists for tickets because i put together a pretty decent schedule just on press and industry screenings alone so um um, that, but that does limit my options uh, a, a little bit, you know? Um, yeah, it also limits the fun of it a little bit. Like, P&I screenings can have their own good vibes, but the big public screenings are really where it's at. Yeah, yeah, that's the, that, that is the, the fun. So, uh, maybe I will beg some, some, uh, some publicists, but, um, uh, I forgot what I was going to say about that. So, I mean, I, but uh, it's also sometimes like I, I look back at TIFF and some of the, like the bad movies that I saw in public screenings this year and realized like, oh, I could have just gone to a PNI of the Fablements. <laughs> like that would have been better than like going to a public screening of uh, something shitty. I saw some good movies at TIFF this year, but I also saw a couple of real stinkers. <laughs> um, um, one of them just got a SAC nomination. Uh, um, Eddie fucking red <laughs> um, Oh, right. I forgot that. Yeah. The industry likes him. I don't know. Well, um, it's not so much that it's just like that movie just seemed to like come and go until as always sag remembers the one, some weird movie that nobody else is watching. Okay. Change of plan on, I was, I was going to surprise you with a, a top of show thing. Well, you're still I was surprising going, me. Well, the thing I was going to bring up and maybe we can still talk about this is whether or not, um like it seemed like at the beginning of award season with like venice and tiff it seemed like brendan fraser was a lock right. for 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 best actor you know not only because the people who saw it early really liked the movie but also because of the narrative of his sort of comeback of and 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 his um because he had been sexually assaulted at some point right is that uh yeah right some point like in the industry so this whole narrative but i'm wondering has backlash against the whale been strong enough that that is no longer a lock is colin farrell uh more likely to win best actor at the oscars than Bernard fraser now well i think what people forget is that it's pretty rare that something is a lock and then stays a lock all the way through the oscars like there's always this perception that like something gets cemented in the festival season and then it just stays but that almost mm -hmm. never happens or at least it happens more often than and just as often that um 
it kind of switches up midway through the season. I know for sure, like, what was I just thinking about? Um, well, like the year Gary Oldman won most of that season, um, like he was the lock, but then it started to switch to maybe is going to be Timothy Chalamet or Deion Day-Lewis. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it kind of switched back to Gary Oldman. Um, the year, well, the year that Eddie Redmayne won, um, Michael Keaton was like the favorite all season. And then at the last minute, it was like, oh, no, they actually just like Eddie Redmayne a lot better. Um, yeah. I, I think it's less to do with the, like any backlash to the whale than just like the whale's a tough sit for most Academy members. Like it's not a pleasant movie, you know, and Banshee's of Sharon gets into the, some tough stuff, but it's a much more pleasant movie to watch, much, more, yeah. much funnier. And I mean, just all around much better, which helps too. It always helps be part of a good movie. Um, so, you know, I, I think all that feeds into the general idea and yeah so when you're approaching festival season yeah the narrative tends to be what drives it because that's kind of what you got to sell before the movie actually comes out people Mm -hmm. gotta see it um then once it does the movie kind of takes over and takes on a life its own and then people forget now that like colin farrell kind of has a a narrative you know i don't think he's ever been nominated for an oscar but people love him you know especially around our generation kind of grew up with him um there's a lot of love out there for colin farrell yeah what did he um uh wait, was he not nominated i don't think no he, he wasn't he presented in like he was a presenter uh because remember him saying something about jeremy renner and yeah that was SWAT. what he was presenting what, what did he call it oh it, he referred to it? he referred to the movie swat um oh man he used a funny term that is like I mean, so I mostly perfect. remember that speech for him, like talking about he and Jeremy Renner, like sharing a bed, he's like, and maybe a pillow, <laughs> which uh, <laughs> conjures up some uh, yeah. potentially saucy imagery. Um, all right. Well, I can't remember the uh, um, the term he used to refer to to swap because when I when I try to Google. Uh, Colin Farrell and and SWAT and Jeremy Renner, uh, apparently they're still good friends. And so there's a lot of news stories about him being in touch with Jeremy Renner after the recent, recent accident, uh, that he had, uh, snow plowing. Um, anyway, uh, that wasn't even the, so that was the, my initial, initial idea. The other thing that I can't believe I didn't think to make the top of the show topic immediately was the very weird viral celebrity to Leslie campaign for Andrea Riseborough. <laughs> sure. It's um, a this this tiny movie um, that I was only I mean no and I was only like mildly aware of it when I started seeing all this buzz for Andrea Riseborough I was like wow more people than I thought latched on to Please Baby Please which is a movie that I love <laughs> but it's not like a, yeah you know uh, it's not everyone's cup of tea um, so I, yeah I'd forgotten that Two Leslie existed it's this movie that. Uh, uh, th- th- this tiny movie, but clearly whoever is in charge of the publicity, their strategy has been a bunch of celebrities having private screenings at their, at their home. And then all of them tweeting roughly the exact same thing. Yeah. I mean, there's been an, enough distinct tweets out there that like, like Edward Norton had a whole thread about it. You know, I, I think the love is genuine. I, I think yeah. like, there just gets to be a point where um, like they organize these screenings and they're like, and if you want to get the word out, you know, throw this in your feed or whatever. And that's like easy from a public relations standpoint. A lot of people probably don't use Twitter that often. So they're just like, sure. Pasting whatever the publicists think is good. Um, Without considering the wider 
Yeah, that's Occam, Occam's razor there. Uh, I was thinking, like, is the publicist trying to, like, engineer a viral thing? Like, intentionally point out that, like, oh, all these celebrities are saying to Leslie is a small film with a giant heart. And, like, is that is the weirdness of that going to get more attention? Which it might have. Yeah, that's too smart, though. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, mean, uh, I think this is just, like throwing everything they can at the last minute. I mean, it's not like she, it, this would be like unprecedented. She did get nominated for an Indie Spirit Award. Um, yeah. She, I'm just looking at uh, the Wikipedia page. She was nominated for Chicago Film Critics Award. Um, the film and or her won a couple of festival awards. Uh, so people saying that like this movie like didn't exist, maybe haven't been paying attention. I certainly forgot about it aside from the Indie Spirit nom. But um you know, I, I do think the love is for real. I just think we're also in a period where celebrities aren't going to like screenings as routinely as maybe they used to, and maybe aren't as tuned into what's happening. And but so they'll go to Demi Moore's house to watch. Absolutely. Them. Who wouldn't? Yeah. Um, yeah. Did you just pull that out of complete thin air or was that an actual one? That's an actual one. Okay. Um, which is uh, Demi Moore is also in Please Baby Please. So, oh, sure. There's, there's a yeah, there's a connection there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the Celebrity House Oscar circuit is, I think, one of the more, less explored but fascinating facets of the industry. Like, people talk about, like, glad handing and stuff, but they don't talk about, like, who's hosting those all the time. I remember yeah. um, around the time in Nebraska, because uh, Jack Nicholson was good friends, or probably is still good friends with uh, Bruce Dern. Um, and so he hosted a lot of screens at his house. And I was like, that must be the coolest place to go see a movie at Jack Nicholson's house. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, and even I, I've just, I've obviously I've never been invited to any of those. Um, I've never been, I have occasionally gotten invites that are to screenings that are at private homes, but they're not like celebrities. Often what will happen is the whatever country's like official nomination will sometimes sure. have a screening at like some dignitary from that country's like uh, Hollywood Hills house. So like two or three times I've been, invited to things like that but i've never gone to one yeah i remember one time it popped up for just on the screen sites and we almost went to some conflict came up and couldn't go uh, yeah. but yeah it, it just, it'll just be these like random addresses and you're like is this, is this legit <laughs> yeah. All right. yeah yeah all right well um let's see i want to tell you real quick before we move on about tweakedaudio.com tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors that look great they sound great uh I use them each and every day of my life. I confirmed with Tyler that he is not using them in the hospital because he has no reason to. Um, uh, but maybe he's been actually moved to new facilities. So maybe he'll have more uh, cause to, to, to use them there. Um, anyway. Uh, but today I, on my tweet, earbuds while I was walking around the grocery store this morning, uh, I was listening to, I'm still on my like thing I do at the beginning of every year of, of, of revisiting or catching up with the best metal albums of the year. And so for the umpteen time today, I was listening to uh worm rots album hiss, which um, I tweeted out a top 10 albums of the year list. Um, uh, and, and that was, and that was on it. It's, it sounds great, but that's, the, this is the difference. I do that. You know, I'm not, no one, no one comes to me that much for music, music recommendations. So like, I don't, with my top 10 of the top 10 films of the year list, like we have a whole episode and it's like a closely guarded thing that I'm crafting. Like 
if I, I'll just tweet out a like, Hey, here are the albums I like this year. Um, but I run the risk of happen- what happened this year happening, which is like, I catch up with something after I tweeted that list. Right. So I think I talked, I think last week or, or a couple weeks ago on, during the tweak section, uh, section of the show, segment of the show, I talked about the, uh, uh, the White Ward album, uh, which I've already forgotten the name of, uh, False Light is the light, uh, White Ward album. That would absolutely have made my top 10 of the year list if I had listened to it before I tweeted that little list out. But Wormrot, still up there. Uh, one of the best albums of the year. Sound good at my tweakedaudio.com. Your buds, they're available at a low, low price at tweakedaudio.com. But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code Pretension. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Scott? Yo. We're back from that ad break. Let's get into it, shall we? This, um, so the germ of the, I'm going to let you introduce it, but just to catch the listeners up, the germ of this was on an episode of the podcast, or maybe it was on the Patreon episode. I think it was a Patreon. It was a Patreon episode. Uh, Go to patreon.com slash battleship retention and sign up. You'll have more conversations. Um, And also, it supports Tyler, by the way, as we talked about. Yeah. I talked about last week. It does support Tyler to sign up for the Patreon. Um, So, uh, I was talking about, you know, I'm, look, I'm a man. I'm 40. I am old. uh, And Are you still going to keep using that line after you turn 41? No. Okay, no, that's it. Yeah. Just milking it while you can. Yes, exactly. Right. Just like for the uh, less than a year, the ten months that I was engaged, I referred to Natalie as my fiance every chance I could. Oh yeah. No, this is only ten months. I'm not going to get a chance to say. I really fiance. emphasize that with people who get engaged. I'm like, you have a very brief period of time. Yeah. A great word. Use much. Well, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I actually will get back into the topic, but that reminds me the night that we got engaged. Cause we were like out in wine country and we we're staying at a hotel that night. Uh, uh, and we checked into the hotel and, um, we realized we didn't have shampoo. I can't remember what it was something. And, um, now they called down to the front desk and they were like, Oh yeah. Okay. We have some here. We're short staff. Can you come down and get it? So I went down to the lobby and I was like, hi, my fiance called about the shampoo <laughs> just like immediately. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, anyway, so we were talking on the Patreon about the youths. I, so I try to be to to keep up, but sometimes there are things that I don't understand. And we were talking about a lot of young people watching movies with the subtitles on, even if they already speak the language. Right. You know, um, and that got you off on a little bit of a tangent, but then you were like, this could maybe be an episode. So... So I will find out. <laughs> so we'll find out. I've based on preliminary conversations with you, I have tentatively titled the episode everything available all at once. Sure. So I like that. So why don't you introduce what this topic is? Yeah. So I, this was real of just like using galaxy brain kind of stuff. But um, one of the things that has, and I'll try not to turn this episode into a complaint session because I, I think it's an issue worth 
really discussing and dissecting and figure out the motivations of. But one of my big issues with the kids today, um, besides their loud music <laughs> and their saggy jeans and so forth, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. is that the the persistent and growing belief that all art should be available all the time to ever anyone everywhere. Um, and so when David, you brought up the idea that a lot of the kids today like to watch things with subtitles. Um, one of the things that you, you and I kind of just immediately agreed, like you're not going to catch every line when you watch a movie. And that's just, that's just life. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to mishear something or misunderstand something, or there's gonna be some mumble, something mumbled in the background. It's not going to quite register. Um, so I wondered if the motivation behind the subtitles was a desire to kind of catch everything and kind of fed into the general desire to have all art available all the time everywhere. Um, now there's issue, there's nuances to both as there is with everything. And certainly, um, you get pretty quickly into roads of like ableism whenever you say like, well, that's just a ridiculous expectation. And yes, I recognize that not everyone can go to a movie theater and see something, let alone amidst the pandemic and do it safely, et cetera. So too with subtitles, there are um, myriad reasons why you would need subtitles on, um, you know, it, it, and it can, it doesn't even have to be that you're uh, deaf and cannot hear. It can be that you have children who sleep very lightly who are in the other room and you can't have them oh, yeah. too loud. Like, sure. Yeah. I'm hoping that we can all approach this topic with the expectation that I'm not throwing under the bus people who have legitimate physical uh, needs that must be met and um, will also want to experience the art of today. I am speaking to able-bodied people who uh, can get out and go do more things with their lives, but choose not to, or who feel that they need some special privilege because uh, they would rather sit at home. Um, These are the people with whom I have chief complaints. Um, Nevertheless, I recognize too that like we're living in a time of uh, limited theatrical distribution where not as many films play as many places as they used to when you and I were growing up. Um, or when they do, they play for very limited periods of time. I mean, I run into this all the time, even in Los Angeles, where like there's a movie I'll want to see, but if I wait three weeks, suddenly my options <laughs> will be much more limited than they used to be. Are you photographing me right now? <laughs> uh, it's time to be real. Okay, perfect. <laughs> David is holding up his phone to the <laughs> Zoom camera and it was very off-putting. Um, yeah. I was like, David, this is already being recorded. I don't know what more. Well, now you're on, you're on my be real, but don't worry. It'll disappear in 24 hours. Well, fortunately <laughs> I dressed for the occasion. Um, <laughs> so yeah, these are kind of the various things swarming in my head around this topic. My, the chief thing that I keep coming back to is I don't know that the, everything available all at once everywhere platform idea has been servicing the art best. And I think the way things have become more disposable is directly fed into the very nature of streaming, which is like, you never have to own it. It just kind of passes through your home um, whenever you choose in whatever bits and pieces you can kind of squeeze it into your schedule. It's not something that you have to make a point of attending, nor is it something you really have to anticipate if the expectation is, and this is like comes up around the Cannes Film Festival every year, films are premier Cannes, people are like, why can't I watch some of the Cannes Film Festival? It's like, well, if the second you can hear about something, you can instantly watch it. That also creates a sense of anticipation. Um, there's no mystery around the thing. There's no, and like, obviously, th- 
audiences seeing something for the first time I can don't have the mystery on the thing, but they went to frickin' France to go see it. They, you know, made a, a special effort. So they had some degree of buy-in to uh, that anticipatory cycle that I think is healthy for art. I think that there is a healthiness that gets created through removal. Um, so that's a long-winded way of introducing a multifaceted topic. But I don't know if you have anything else to immediately say on that before I continue to ramble on. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously being able to go to France is a privilege. We want to, I don't, I don't, again, don't want to get, uh, well, away from acknowledging that to um, quickly jump on that. Um, it's a privilege for Americans and that's American centric perspective to say that it's a privilege. It's actually very easy from what I've read to go to Cannes just as a journalist. And a lot of college age kids apparently do because they have like a podcast or a blog or a YouTube series or whatever. And they just like pile together in a hostel or, you know, pay their 15 bucks mm -hmm. a night. And it's actually super common if you're a young person in France. Um, so I, I think there's some American centricity in saying right. like, well, it's such a journey to go to France. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Um, you were talking about the the limited theatrical runs. I would like, I was getting nervous. I was looking at my calendar today. Cause I haven't yet seen Mia Hansen Levey's one fine morning. It's like, Oh, sure. It's maybe the number one 22 movie that, that I feel like I want to see before we do our top 10 list. But I was looking, it comes out theatrically January 27th. And I was looking at my calendar, me and Natalie's like calendar. We've got a bunch of stuff going on. And I was like, I might not be able to see it until like the second week of February. And then a part of me is like, is it still going to be anywhere? <laughs> I mean, I, I might have to go to the the music hall and see the like 1250 PM screen yeah, right. <laughs> once a day or whatever, that sort of thing. But uh, I'm hoping I don't miss my chance to see one fine morning. That's all. That's uh, all you had to say. Uh, a, but the myriad topics to introduce is sheerly your yeah, desire to uh, one morning. But this, so this, um, uh, this expectation of things being available is not new at this point. Um, because I remember this is like 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. What was that? I don't know if this site still exists. The oatmeal. Remember that site? And they did like little like, yeah. strips. Yeah. Does that site still exist? So I remember the oatmeal doing a little strip about the character, like trying to watch Game of Thrones season one. Oh, it, sure. It not being available and then torrenting it. And basically the, the, the message of that comic strip was like, I have made every good faith effort to pay you to see this. If you're not letting me, then I am justified in seeing it via extra legal means. Right. Um, and uh, I don't know when Tyler and I talked about like torrenting and, and piracy and stuff, we got feedback that uh, I've never gotten so much feedback saying I sound like an old man because oh, of course. Um, I don't, I, I generally don't engage in it, but also like, I like, I'm like a confused old man that I wouldn't even know how I'm sure I could, if I wanted to, uh, it's not, that look, it hard. Up, look it up but yeah. i like i wouldn't know where to go or, or or anything um uh but um but i would say i i but I, this isn't like a a moral judgment on torrenting but it's just it surprised me as someone who came of age at a time when if you miss something in the theater you know 
you had to wait a year for it to come out right. on, on home video. Or if you missed a TV show, you missed an episode of the X-Files, like you it, might man. just never see it. When my mom <laughs> screwed up recording the West Wing on the VCR, yeah. man, I was upset. Yeah, well, that's where um, uh, Mighty Big TV and then Television Without Pity came in. You could read uh, snarky recaps sure. of, of that. I mean, I did that. I, that's how I found Mighty Big TV. Oh, really? Um, uh, yeah, because I had heard, I, I didn't watch Dawson's Creek. Um, and at the time I was like going to raves a lot and there was <laughs> sure. like a, there was like a Dawson's Creek episode where someone like went to a rave and like people at raves or on the raves, like message, like EDM, we weren't even saying EDM like that, uh, that no. but the message boards and stuff, uh, were making fun of the episode. So I was like, how do I find out what happened in this episode? And that's how I stumbled upon mighty big tv which then became television without pity and which now doesn't even exist anymore and doesn't oh, not even like archived anywhere you can't read those uh those things anymore which is weird yeah uh, i don't have uh, any great like moral objection to piracy for the most part i you know it's a little lazy i suppose but what really grinds my gears is how like self-righteous people get about it and like if people just admitted they were just stealing shit i'd be a lot more cool with it but people always get on their high horse about how the media companies are robbing them by making them pay 15 dollars to see anything or let alone like you and i have talked about this before the idea that it doesn't count as streaming if it isn't on a subscribing platform like the idea that you have to pay five dollars to rent something or whatever is like outrageous um and all these kind of things like is just ridiculous self-justification for like just say you just would don't want to pay for it and you're just stealing it like yeah. <laughs> nobody clearly nobody's stopping you the infrastructure has never been able to like defeat piracy and probably never will you're getting away with it you're getting away with watching something for free yeah uh, you decide to buy an external hard drive just to fill up with terribly named files that you can never keep track of you're going through all the work fine just do it but don't like act like it's some moral crusade to rob amc or whatever <laughs> of your 15 dollars just do it and move on. Say you saw the movie. Do you think there is something to, cause this came up uh, with skin and Marink that like that movie leaked and was widely torrented before right. it, it, it came out. And that's how I heard of it. Right. So like, is there something to the argument that like, Oh, people getting to see the movie helps raise the movie's profile or, or something. Cause that was, Cause there were definitely people I follow who were very much against, uh, uh, pirating skin and Marink and saying, this is like bad for, this is a low budget filmmaker. You know, this is bad for, 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 for them. They should be seeing money from this. Or the people who were making the argument that I just made, like, like, Hey, we're out here talking about this movie. That's now going to get, uh, you know, uh, uh, more publicity because of it. And it is true. I mean, I, I heard of it that way and got excited about it. And then I saw the trailer before the novelist film, which is weird. Um, <laughs> very weird. But, but that trailer is scary. I, yeah, I don't know. Now weird. that more people are seeing Skin and Marink, I feel like a lot of people are like, eh, but um, I still want to see it. Yeah, I'm, I have plans to see it this week. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a stranger case because apparently that even affected who distributed it because um, I, I can't remember if it even had a distributor by the time it like started leaking, people were talking about it. Mm-hmm. But that directly affected literally how many people are seeing it, not just like because there are so many tweets about it. Um, that kind of stuff is, I think, more interesting than admirable. And, you know, torrent uh, favors, that's not the right word. Anyway, people who really push torrents as like a great mode of distribution will often point to those kind of cases where like it got the word out about whatever. Um, I, I find those are so 
few and far between as far as edge cases go. And it's not kind of the dominant thing people are downloading. For the most part, they're not seeking out rare, strange, uh, independent films that don't have distribution or which have very limited distribution to try to like talk up the word. They are mostly torrenting things that most people are watching already um, and just want to join in the conversation of that. So, you know, it, it's interesting. And it. Um, I think, it, if anything, it just points to a general sense of how things get talked about at all or how things get seen at all um, has become much more diffuse and strange than it used to be. But that it's not unprecedented in the analog age either, where like a, a tape would get passed around and mm-hmm. something would get talked that way. I think it happened more often with music probably in those days, but yeah. um, it's always been a factor. And um, this is just kind of the latest iteration of it. Um, yeah, I think the first time I saw Battle Royale was before it had any oh, really? US release, and I, someone gave me a, just a DVD that had a file burned onto it, and that was yeah. how I watched it back when I was in college. But um, what made uh, you want to see it? How how had word gotten out of it that far? I mean, at, at my film school, a lot of people were talking about. It. I don't remember huh. how it how it got out um, initially, but a lot of people in, in film school were talking about Battle Royale and were clearly seeing it, and then. Um, yeah, a, a friend of mine um, who's been on this podcast, actually, but I won't give his name away in case there's some sort of uh, <laughs> pending legal case. No, there's sure, not. Um, uh, yeah, he was like, have you seen it yet? And, and here's a DVD, just a, like a DVD-R or whatever. Um, uh, yeah. Um, but that's... Uh, yeah, I, I, I can't remember the last time I really like watched something illegally i'm kind of uh i'd rather go through legal means i think the only case i'm trying to think of a specific example but i know there are like older rarer movies in which the rights are so confused that no one wants to risk putting it out the rights are confused or just held on to like there's um move like i mean the devils is kind of the big famous case especially for genre movie people where like WB just isn't putting it out. They have the rights. They don't want to. That's the end of their position on it. Um, and there are tons of old movies in one of those two situations either. Yeah. Nobody knows who has the rights or whoever has the rights just doesn't care about it. Um, those are certainly instances where I, I think um, a certain degree of piracy and bootlegging is very necessary and very admirable and um, worthwhile not that it's you know the predominant form but yeah as far as the stuff that i watch illegally it's all stuff like that that either never got u.s distribution um or which has been out of print for so long that it's impossible to get a hold of the disc copy of it um there's stuff floating around on youtube that falls in the same boat as well that's um interesting that it's just kind of like sitting out there i've watched tons of pre-code movies on youtube because Mm -hmm. they're just sitting there um you said something else about that that got me thinking. Oh, well, I uh, kind of on a separate tangent from that and which it is an area that I think you and I do disagree on is the idea of people talking about seeing things on film as a more, uh, what's the word, more authentic way of experiencing certain movies. I know this came up a lot when... Um, the master came out and like 70 millimeter prints were going on about that. Those movies shot on 70 millimeter or 65, mm-hmm. but you know, close enough. Yeah. Um, and so people were talking about it. Like you, if you're going to go see it, you got to go see it on 70 millimeter. And people understandably were like, how the fuck am I going to go see a movie on 70 millimeter? There's no 70 millimeter projector anywhere near me. Um, 
But for those of us who had that opportunity, there was no denying that it was a distinctly different and much more interesting experience to watch it that way. Um, and I tend to be of the mode of like, if we're going to say the aesthetics of a movie are important, then yes, the mode in which it's presented is too important. But I know you and I tend to disagree there. Uh, I mean, I, I, I've I've definitely come around on um, seeing a difference. Um but uh yeah i don't think that it's uh like i don't want to go so far as to say you shouldn't be allowed to say log a movie on letterboxd if you right. only saw it in pain and scan vhs like that uh, that still it still counts as seeing it and there is like a sliding scale between like seeing it the best way or more people getting to see it um that uh uh, maybe it changes on a case by case basis, but I'm, yeah, I'm definitely more okay with you than more okay than you with, uh, people seeing things just however they, uh, are able to. Oh, I see things. However, I'm able to all the time. I mean, I've, you know, I, like I said, I am on those torrent sites for, um, old movies that are undistributed and I've seen every shitty version that you can imagine of movies. But at the same time, like, yeah. I don't know, I always kind of view that as like a reference copy. And if I can then go see, I'm trying to think of one that I definitely saw like on a shitty rip and then um, later saw theatrically. And I, I can't really conjure one, mm. um, but I, I know it's come up, but it, it is, it does tend to be like night and day. And I do tend to see that, like, if I have those opportunities to see something in on a print in theaters, that that, that that's like a, uh, an important follow-up to what was then prior to then like a lesser experience. Yeah. I'm trying to think of an example of something that I was familiar with and then saw on film and it changed. I mean, I I, to talk about one that's much more available, like eyes wide shut is a completely different experience on film than it is on the current transfers that are available um there's a lot about the way like the lights are blown out and like kind of the, all the christmas lights really like uh, infect the whole screen on film then on the transfers which is a little bit more muted and a little bit mm. more subtle um and it's not as interesting and to see it on film is at least the way it's transferred now i, I hope at some point they'll put it on like 4k and do a, a closer transfer to how it looks on film because it's really extraordinary uh yeah i don't know i I saw i would have seen eyes wide shut on film when it came out right uh, i guess that was my initial but i've also watched it on blu-ray it's on blu-ray right oh yeah yeah Yeah. um i don't know i somewhat recently within the last year or so saw jaws theatrically for the first time but that was a dcp so um but it it was it did feel like a new experience uh in many ways so yeah um uh, there's actually a movie out this year that is um kind of tied into this conversation uh have you heard this movie the afterlight no so the afterlight is like a collage film um sort of like the filmmaker was at a q a when i saw it um and he kind of like made fun of the comparison but the easy comparison is like the christian mark plays the clock which was that feature that played at lackman other museums for like years that was like 24 hours of movie just combined clips that were corresponded whatever time of day it was um so, but is that kind of format? It's not, you know, time delineated in that way, but it's that idea of taking old movie clips and kind of assembling the idea of a narrative out of them. Um, but what's interesting about it is he com- uh, compiled and edited it digitally, but then made a film print 
out of it and then completely deleted all the digital stuff. So it only exists as a film print that he tours mm. around the world at this point um, and which he expects will slowly degrade. But literally he designed it. So the only way to experience it is if you happen to be able to catch a theatrical screening of it. And I highly recommend people do. It's really, really good and really interesting. Um, but wait, there, wait, okay. Sorry. Just uh, from a technical standpoint. Yeah. If he made a print, it would have come, he would have, there would be an intermediate, like, like an interpositive or, or, yeah. or something. So if that print degrades, he could run another print off of the, ip right um i, think I just he, hope i don't know unless he i think he destroyed that, that too okay <laughs> the impression i got um from reading up on it in the q a after with him is that he destroyed every existence of the film except for the print that gets interesting done. yeah <clears throat> um so it's kind of an interesting experiment both in like how long will this thing last ultimately because he wants to yeah. keep showing it basically the idea is that will it eventually be destroyed um not like purposely but just through use um so it's an interesting kind of edge case in this scenario where like if for some reason there's some loud vocal chorus clamoring to see the afterlight this niche uh collage film um it will not satisfy the current market demands because it is designed to be limited um okay so back to the uh topic at hand i guess sure uh and back to something you you were talking about earlier that i think is very important um you're talking about anticipation yeah um and and you were talking about uh how something seems disposable if it's available as soon as you can as soon as you've heard about it yeah uh i think that's very true i, I mean i i don't want to get into because we did like the new Puritans episode and now we're doing this. I don't want this to become the like crotchety old man podcast who complains about the use. Um, so I, I, I am open to the argument that like my opinion here is not the truth, but it is just shaped by my own experiences, but it does seem like things stick around movies, stick around in the consciousness longer. If there's been more ramp up. Um, yeah, I think that's a big part of it. I mean, unless like we were talking about music before, like if you're Beyonce or Taylor Swift, you can do the surprise album drop and it's still a big deal, you know, um, because you're already Beyonce or Taylor Swift. Right. Yeah. So Steven Soderbergh can drop a movie that you've like heard of a week beforehand or whatever. Um, and it will still show up on like end of year lists and, and stuff like that. Not a recent uh, Steven Soderbergh movie. There's Steven Soderbergh. Um, I mean, Kimmy's on a lot of lists. Is what I'm no, saying. I know. I'm just um, razzing. Did you not like Kimmy? No, I, Kimmy is by far the best thing he's done in quite some time, but hmm. that by far is a notable distance for me. Okay. Uh, I, well, as you know, I liked Let Them All Talk. Yeah. No. Um, wasn't nuts about No Sudden Move, but it, it had moments that work. Um, and of course, No Sudden Move belongs to my uh, uh, open uh, living uh, uh, letterbox list. Surprise, Matt Damon. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so weird that there's like a baker's dozen of movies that Matt Damon is like oh, unexpectedly. In. <laughs> yeah. It's one of the 21st century's greater pleasures. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, I can't remember what I was, what I was saying, but um, word of mouth does help a movie. As we were talking about with skin and like word of mouth helps um, and anticipation is a big part of the, uh, 
the uh, uh, appeal of it. It's actually something I've gotten back into um, mm. in over the last like five or so years of um, like, cause there was a time that I just like, I didn't read about can or Venice. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't read about Berlin. I didn't, like I didn't. And I think maybe coinciding with me starting to go to like Sundance and then sure. stuff, like I started to see the pleasure in the, looking ahead to, to something, you know, um, uh, you know, I know I like with, I got Sundance coming up. Like I said, you, I'm probably already back from Sundance by the time you're hearing this. Um, and Sundance is almost entirely a premier focused, uh, festival, but they do have the spotlight section in which right. they show stuff that is played festivals and that, but hasn't been released in the U S yet. And so I'm very much looking forward to the eight mountains, the new oh, Felix yeah. and, uh, Groningen, uh, movie, which is also weird for a sun, uh, Sundance movies. One big difference between Sundance and TIFF is that TIFF, because they're like, you know, big international, like awards season type movies, mm-hmm. like a, a plus a two hour plus runtime is not uncommon at TIFF, you know, right. uh, even if longer, like most movies you see at Sundance are like a hundred m- minutes. Yeah. So, but, uh, the eight mountains is two and a half hours, which will be, uh, it's like quite three a, Sundance movies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I was making my schedule. And I just like out of habit was like, I'll have enough time to make it from this to this. And I was like, well, I better check <laughs> 147 minutes. That's a, that's interesting. But, uh, yeah, I mean, so I'm excited to see uh, to see that because I, it, you know, it won something. It can right. I can't keep track of. Uh, oh, they have too many prizes. Yeah, exactly. But it, <laughs> I it love the Cannes Film Festival of, and all, yeah. but they are out of control. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, there's I mean, a uh, um, the Onion once made fun of the NHL for the uh, same thing of having like too many weird awards. And there was okay. like so, and so wins uh NHL award for tying his skates the tightest. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And that's not even like the unofficial awards that can like the palm dog and all that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, but anticipation is like built into the like history of movies. I mean, even just like speaking somewhat recently, the idea of a platform release is that you would build anticipation for you and build word of mouth. And that's a huge reason why like so many, you know, adult aimed dramas fail the box office these days. They don't have a chance to sit around and grow and get people talking about them and have people like call their friends and tell them about and bring them out to whatever. Um, They just stick around for a month, month and a half, and then go on to the streaming abyss where they'll just sit and die because there's no urgency around seeing them. Um, but it, a lot of that just goes back to the scarcity of film. I mean, to tie it in the afterlife, like the idea that there would only be so many prints that you could ship around the country at a time. So, you know, you'd start it in New York or LA or wherever, and then, or even sometimes for further flung places, if you go in the back in the history of distribution, like you, sometimes they just start a movie just about anywhere um, and just get it playing. But uh, the idea that you only have you have a limited amount of resources and so you play it for a short period of time in one city, then move it on to the next and so on and so forth. And along the way, an idea of momentum builds up around it. Um, If nothing else, you know, it gives the next town newspaper clippings they can use as part of the advertising to say like, oh, the people in Spokane loved it. Um, (laughs) But that that is also just missing. And now we just have like the vast abyss of. Twitter and Letterboxd, which frequently 
campaigns will just pull quotes from and just credit it to Twitter or Letterboxd. Yeah. Um, and that becomes the conversation around it. But it's it's all too limited. And it's not allowing things to break through. You think about how many films really broke through this year. It's a pretty limited pool. Um, but then films like She Said or Babylon get blamed for not performing on the first weekend. But they're not first weekend movies. They were never, they never could have done so. So yeah, we're just yeah. going to throw out the idea that those kind of movies can succeed. Then we're losing out on a lot. I don't know that we've found something that we can replace it with yet. Yeah, it, that is um, uh, a, a struggle um, that those kind of movies, uh, their futures might be uh, uh, damned uh, until they're eventually like rediscovered as gems, maybe somewhere down the line. Nothing, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I, you like she said more than I did. I thought it was kind of dry, but um, well, it, uh, anyway, that's the point. Uh, um, that. Uh, uh, it's, it's, it's a shame. Uh, and it reminds me of the thing that, um, Patty Jenkins said about streaming was that I came her exact phrase, but she was talking about, I'm not seeing new. She's basically saying, I'm not seeing like new iconic directors coming out of streaming. Like nothing right. seems to stick because people are like, Oh, you don't see, you know, they were talking about the Irishman and stuff like that. And that's, and, and, and the point she was making was like, a a new new voices in filmmaking are less and less able to establish themselves um on 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 streaming like i remember i've seen this happen a couple of times because i used to do i should get back to doing those if if they'll have me but i used to do for film uh independent for the blog those things where i like followed up with directors who won the some oh, yeah. watch award you know and one um example that uh, sticks out. Uh, Adam Leon made this great movie called Give Me the Loot. I can't remember if you saw Give Me the Loot. It's so cool. No, I know of it. Um, yeah. And so great. Got, you know, a lot of buzz for a movie of that size, you know, and then his his sophomore feature, which should be like, ideally, like this is the movie where he's trading on all the buzz he got. Right. Is this movie called Tramps that just like came out on Netflix and, uh, you know, if the algorithm didn't tell you it was there, you would never know. And if I hadn't done this column uh for film independent i never would have watched tramps and tramps isn't as good as give me the loot but uh it's a really cool movie um with uh grace van patten uh, an actress that i think is uh super talented um and uh yeah so instead of like give me the loot being a springboard for adam leon i think because of netflix it kind of <laughs> uh, uh his his uh his buzz got got kind of uh what's the word I'm looking for, uh, extinguished in a, in a way. And then, I mean, his next movie was Italian studies, which was a departure for him, but that was five years later. Uh, and is only a pretty decent movie. Yeah. I, the thing I was going to say about, she said is that part of what becomes, I think frustrating about the current climate is that like every individual movie has to prove its worth in some way. And there's not mm -hmm. like a fostered culture around movie going, um, she said is not a great movie. I like it for kind of like, uh, subtextual reasons that I talked about on one of the movie journals. Um, yeah. but I think, I, I think movies like that are good for the cinema and they're good for the cinema because it's a movie that explores current events in a digestible way that gets people talking about them. It's a great showcase for a number of actors who are really exciting to watch and who then, if a movie like that could become popular, which like for all basic reasoning it should become popular because it's a very digestible 
you know, I mean, enjoyable is the wrong word for the subject matter tackles, but you know, it's essentially a crowd pleaser. Um, and so then when, you know, Carrie Mulligan or Zoe Kazan go do something stranger or weirder, there's people mm. who have positive association with them through those movies. And this is like, gets, I mean, to fold it into my big unifying theory of why there's, you know, no more movie stars, no more contemporary cinema is because we don't do romantic comedies anymore. And romantic comedies are very rarely the thing that lasts from a given time, except for a few very exceptional examples, but they're the way that people fall in love with people. And they're the reason mm. people fall in love with movie stars and they're why movie stars get created. And so the fact that people look around and ask, why are there any more movie stars? Or they say like, why can't Margot Robbie open a movie? Margot Robbie hasn't done a romance. And that's how she could get people to fall in love with her and get people to on board with her wild Jersey accent that she whips out for every movie she does. Um, and I like Margot <laughs> Robbie as an actress, but I'm saying like, I don't, I'm not at all mystified why she's not a box office draw because yeah. in every movie she's playing some completely weirdo and you can't build an audience with that. You have to get people to fall in love with you a little bit. And so a movie, like she said, no, it's not a great movie individually, but it's collective potential on the art form and on the popularity of their art form could be immense if it had a kind of culture in which it could succeed. Uh, yeah, I would say uh, my example from somewhat recent years this is now like four years old or so uh, of that kind of thing is a already forgotten movie called the art of racing in the rain. Oh, sure. Uh, with uh, my love Amelia and Amanda Seafried and the voice of Kevin Costner. And uh, you've got some other people in there uh, as well. Um, and yeah, I don't think that's a movie that I would be handing out awards to or anything, but uh, it's, and it's not, ex I mean, it has romance in it, but it's more, um, it's about more than that, but like, it does seem like an, it does seem like a movie that is like an echo of a time when a movie like that would have been a big deal because Milo and Amanda <laughs> would be big <laughs> deals, but it feels like they're not, I guess Milo Ventimiglia is a big star now because of this is us, but I forget about television sometimes. Um, but I don't know if either of them are as big a stars as they were the exact same people 20 years ago would be bigger stars in the art of racing in the rain. The same movie would be a bigger deal just because it had stars in it. Does yeah. That, you know what I mean? No, for sure. Um, I think, I think the continual trap people are falling into these days is relying on TV star power to translate to movies. And sometimes it does, but a lot of times it doesn't. Um, you know, I, I think yeah. that's a big reason like John Hams had a very difficult time, like getting a real, star run going is because he was a huge star on tv i mean brian cranston is the same case like both of them are huge stars on tv but there's something isn't translating into the pictures um well i think i haven't seen confess fletch but i think part of the reason with the john ham thing is people don't see don't actually understand what his appeal is um, okay. it's kind of like the like 90s alec baldwin thing of it it took a while for people to go like oh alec baldwin's funny like i all other like opinions on Alec Baldwin aside, like he's good at comedy. And I feel like um, letting John Hamm be a little bit of a weirdo is better than trying to make him the lantern jawed uh, uh, hero in the fucking daily or stood still remake or whatever. Um, Weird poll. Um, <laughs> I didn't see it. Nor did I. Uh, yeah. I think that's part of it, but also like, I, I think Ben Affleck can sometimes have the same problem where like, he's a much more compelling star as a goofball but he can still open a movie as the lantern jawed square hero yeah, yeah. Um, because he's a movie star. And there's just some, so there's, I think there's some quality about the fact that people can just get it at home 
that they don't feel the need to go out for. And maybe that speaks to the larger point of like torrenting or streaming or whatever else. If you can just stream it at home, it's less valuable. And there's nothing that makes it more interesting or more compelling to get you out of the house for it. Um, and yeah, that's been going on as long as there's been TV stars trying to break into movies. And, you know, for every George Clooney, there's a David Caruso kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um uh yeah uh, I, I i can't remember what i was gonna say about david crusoe um <laughs> except for so that, many uh, david crusoe thoughts no yeah well um i guess i was just gonna say that uh, session nine is a really good movie uh <laughs> never saw it oh it's uh uh one Brian of my Anderson's like first movie right? uh is it his first or was it after next stop wonderland or before uh, he's oh, such yeah. a weird like career um but uh yeah, I've talked about Session 9 before. It's low-key one of my favorite horror movies because of the way that it breaks expectations. It's a terrifying horror movie that takes place almost completely in sunlight and never, ever actually shows you the monster or ghost or whatever it is. Mm. Uh, and yet still manages to be terrifying. <laughs> uh, yeah, Dexstop Wonderland was before Session 9. Okay. Uh, yeah, that was the first one I saw. Um, I like Bray Anderson. Yeah, I haven't oh. seen that much of it. I, so, like, uh, he also made a movie before Next Stop Wonderland that I really haven't heard of called The Darien Gap, which sounds made Whoa. up. But so, yeah, his first three movies were romantic comedies, which is very strange because it's like not at all what I, I associate with him. Yeah. Um, I guess he, he's gone back. He's always done a lot of TV. It seems to be m mostly TV. Uh, for the last few years yeah but he's kept a pretty steady clip of features you know one every yeah. like three years or so yeah i guess maybe oh, yeah. four i never heard of fractured um, no I mean, yeah, that's, that's a netflix movie out there, it's a yeah. netflix movie yeah um i remember hearing beirut was bad i didn't see it you, you saw it was beirut, okay right? i saw that at sundance yeah it was okay yeah it's actually um, pretty it's the closest i've seen john ham be to like really be a star on screen okay all right well i think we've gone so far uh afield that maybe it's time to start wrapping up perfect um and do you have any closing thoughts uh go to the movies um it's a hassle and it's a bother but i you tend to have stronger attachments to things that way i think uh and just be okay with not seeing everything right away yeah chill out um yeah spoilers aren't that big a deal i feel like that's a big part of it too is people come like so oh yeah uh uh avoidant of spoilers um to the point that it's kind of silly um yeah. all right so you can find us at battleshippretension.com you can email me david at battleshippretension.com um go to caringbridge.org slash visit slash tyler and jennifer smith to find out what's going on with tyler and also to uh, see if you can find a link to the gofundme uh, which you can also find that link to the gofundme at the um, top of the homepage at battleshippretension.com uh, also check out my other podcast uh which is called the one where i met your mother my wife and i watch an episode of friends and an episode of how i met your mother in concurrence we're almost halfway through the fourth season of both and we compare and contrast and talk and this is a really good stretch of episodes um for how i met your mother it's really um really on a good run in mid-season four um so i uh, feeling uh psyched about that uh so check out all that follow me on twitter at davy pretension uh scott where do you want people to find you uh you can email me at rail of tomorrow at gmail.com send me all your self-righteous torrenting thoughts yeah. um Twitter at Rail of Tomorrow uh, and on Letterboxd. All right. Well, uh, thank you for uh, filling in, Scott. Thanks for being almost as good as as Tyler. Um, hey, thanks for putting up with my rants. 
Thank you at home for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.